Microphone check. One, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. The Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Live from the continuing apocalypse, this is State of the Game, Free Music Empire State of the Game, Volume 54, still here. That's right. I am your host, and I'll tell you something. I won't clip my toenails with a fingernail clipper. I'll wait it out till the toenail clipper comes in the mail. You got to stand for something or you fall for anything. I'm Dan O. My co-host in this journey to the center of music is someone, if you meet him at a flea market and he asks to paint you, that's his art. Respect it. It's K. Diggy. Thank you for joining me, K. Diggy. <laughs> um, our guest, returning guest, we're calling this Threesome 2. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, this is uh, the rap music plug. He sails through these social media streets like Wally West through Central City. You know, boots to the ground everywhere but nowhere at once. Uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you for sh- for showing up here. I appreciate it. Appreciate having me back on. I had a great time last time and I'm looking Really forward to chopping it up about these comps and discuss all that. And yep, follow me at the Rap Music Club podcast. About it. You Let's go through some of the stuff I go through. You you get to interview people. You get to do cool stuff, right? Uh, with the Rap Music Plug, subscribe on YouTube. I am always like stupid appreciative of of what I'm able to do and talk to these people. Uh, it's it's fantastic. So, uh, by the way. Catch up on uh, on the newest Haram review. Uh, put a lot of time in. I appreciated that. So, uh, appreciate that. And but yes, you reviewed Bushido for Free Music Empire. Uh, how was that experience? It was first of all, again, thank you for giving me the chance to actually write for you guys. I actually, funny enough, used to do only written reviews back when so this is 2013 to about 2015 for about two and a half years when i was in university uh actually end of high school early university and uh yeah i really enjoyed it and i hadn't picked up a pen or a uh key key a type a typewriter a typewriter that's what i did i typed this all typewriter and i faxed it to to dan but yeah i hadn't done that in a long time and it was a great great experience and it was a lot to talk about when it comes to bushido because 
I personally am not a person that like always loves and jumps for a compilation. I mm-hmm. tend to be someone like, as I say in the review, the things that you can't usually expect with a compilation are the things I tend to really love about like the album experience, like the the narrative, the flow, the sequencing, the cohesion, and those kinds of things, the theme. And you can, there's obviously those elements in a compilation, but not to the same degree and not in the same way. So I didn't really know what to expect with Bushido other than I knew it would be good because I like all the mellow music group artists. And overall, I think they satisfied their objective. And I don't know if you want to get into what I thought that was really. Yeah, no, you had, you laid out four objectives that like main objectives that do you think compilations really, uh, you know, should be viewed through as a lens and highlighting the diversity of the particular group of artists displaying their artists greatest hits or satisfying the artist's work within a specific theme uh and the fourth is a straightforward talent showcase with no other qualifier mm-hmm. uh, and yeah there's there's a lot there i i think and it, it it's interesting you kind of brought up like i'm an album guy right i love albums i love track sequencing i love all of that stuff and there I'm not alone. There's like a there's a heavy body of people who prefer that. There's also a heavy group of people who just kind of want to click through stuff. So I wonder if label compilations satisfy that need. If you're like more of a singles person, uh, that you'd be more willing to kind of click through. But you know, I'm only guessing because that's, that's a good point. I never thought of it that it actually satisfies that single person because again. I, I'm not a, a compilation guy. I'm like the anti-single straight up. Right. Like, unless I know it's on an album, I don't even really care unless you're like an artist. I love, I'm just like, I don't really not going to waste my time to click one song unless I really love you. So that's a good point. I think it might actually satisfy those people that don't want to sit through a whole thing and just want to play a little bit and then just dip. Cause it usually will satisfy your need there. Yeah. And okay. Diggy. I mean, you remember when, uh, Drake realized that his audience had a low attention span, and so he started calling his albums playlists. Just to trick yeah, the them. more life, the more life uh, album slash compilation, yeah, whatever Drake that just was. Tricking these young people, just being like it's a playlist, <laughs> and it's just an album that he called a playlist. Uh, it's fantastic. Good for him. Um, I mean, that's what I mean. The more life was interesting because. I mean, all of the there was no flow to it. Like all the song, I, I think it kind of ties back to what you guys were saying about the singles approach. I mean, there was really no flow to the to the album, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the playlist. Right. Um, but you, you can't deny that there were some like really great song. Really, well, there were some yeah, really. There was solid a couple. Songs. There was a couple really like I really fucked with the intro like yeah free smoke like just the way it comes in and like that beat it's like uh just such fuckboy vibes but it's so fun just like it's like so good absolute like fuckboy vibe and i just i just can't get so good at that he's so good at it no i mean and and so that's what it did like so no one can criticize him for like yo like all you did was just record a bunch of songs and put them on a put them together because it's like a playlist so it's not it's supposed to be evaluated in those terms so that's kind of how you know you get around it or how he got around it the expectations were 
Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's the the first date versus the Netflix and chill. You know, you're just like, all right, we're just gonna uh anyway, but the but yeah, compilations are fascinating and I was I wanted I'm I am very impressed with myself, just to tell you. I think uh this group of three is a really interesting contrast. To have Bushido Mellow Music Group released this year, to have, I think it was like 1998, uh, Ride or Die. Um, 1999. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then to have the Anticon 2004 uh, label sampler, 99 to 2004, uh, really shows you kind of the different tiers and levels uh, that you're operating at me and kd you talk about this a lot bro that like these different if you're if you're in the penthouse you have to keep paying for the penthouse your goals are different your missions are different right mm-hmm. it's like a different thing uh if you're you know middle if you're in the middle you can take some chances you know you can pay your bills here and and play there but if you're on that like low raw underground you're just doing whatever you want um, and it's just, it's different kind of vibes unified by these missions. Um, how was, how was your listening experience with going, jumping between these albums? So for me, Rough Rider, uh, the Rough Riders Ride or Die, like for both of these, I've heard them, but I can't really even tell you when the last time I heard them. Cause like I said, I'm not a compilation guy. So I overall, like definitely really enjoyed being transported into two kind of like wildly like wildly <laughs> different environments and i thought the the rough riders one was pretty interesting because i don't know it's something i have something weird with those swizz like those swizz beats like casio casio beats yeah. like <laughs> when i think of the the volume two hard uh yeah volume two uh jay-z album that had a ton of those beats and that was one of like the biggest showcases for swizz on one hand i kind of just like think they're very it comes off very tinny played out but then there's this part of me that just likes how cheap and rudimentary it almost feels like it feels so stupid but in a way i love it so mm-hmm. i wouldn't say it aged like fine wine but it it aged just fine mm-hmm. um but i think it like is kind of uneven and i definitely think the singing parts especially that one track that's all singing and just Ooh, parlay. man parlay? i, I I, I think so. Is it like towards the middle, uh, middle or, or like earlier? Yeah, it's like called. It's the artist is Parlay. Yeah, um, I just, it re, it reminds me of those hooks back in that time yeah. that I just don't like. Like I don't know. I, I wasn't, and I also wasn't like young. I was like not even existent at that time practically. So like, I don't know. I just don't connect with that kind of super like very like singing with a lot of gusto. Like it tends to like not be hit or be, it tends to be pretty hit or miss for me. But I really liked, like, they had some really good moments. And I think overall, it kind of, you know, it accomplished that goal of ushering in this, like, hard-hitting, yet still definitely commercial alternative to, like, the bad boy Rockefeller, but has, like, an unhinged, bombastic flavor that Swizz's production obviously punctuates a lot. And I think it definitely, like, gets the point across that this is something new, something fresh, and important in retrospect for sure. Yeah, K Diggy, I think it's just called I'm a Rough Rider. 
Yeah, that's the track. That's the track. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, what? I loved it because I, I, when I, you know, when I heard this, I mean, Swiss Beats production is so uh, unique. Like, as soon as I put it on, I was like transported back to 1999. Um, I remember, like, there was I was in Chicago visiting my family for the summer of '99. And I remember the song, uh, what, what is it? Not, uh, what you, what you want. Yeah, that was like, a huge, that was a huge song. Uh, and I remember like, I couldn't go a day, like I was in Chicago for two weeks or whatever. And I couldn't go a day without hearing that song. Um, and I loved it. So this, you know, listening to it for the show t- tonight really kind of brought me back to that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, so I, I mean, it really, for me, I, I think it, like, it would, it basically, to me, the Rough Riders, Ride or Die Volume 1, it was basically a showcase for Swiss Beats. Uh, and so, I mean, he, so I think he had, like, songs that were too hot to not be heard. So whoever is the CEO of Rough Rider was like, look, we'll just make a compilation album with all your leftover beats. Call it Ride or Die and we'll see how it does on the charts. And it, and it went number one. So, Funny enough, my favorite track is the one he didn't produce. It's the intro. The intro is crazy. The intro is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that beat. I see it's DJ Clue. Yeah. And Dur- mm-hmm. Duro. Yeah. I totally, yep. totally fuck with that. But I mean, his beats I like too, for sure. For the reasons I already mentioned. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, I, yeah, it, it was a fascinating listen. We could talk about the Rough Riders compilation and just, just start with that since, you know, with the passing of DMX, people are remembering the Rough Riders uh, run fondly and, and his run and, and his talents I just, I was struck listening to this that I was like, oh shit, this was, this was East Coast cash money. <laughs> it is. That's a good comparison. That's what yeah. Like the, the beats come off the conveyor belt. You can just crank them out. Right. Like I, I re-listened to Jigga Wa Jigga Who and I'm like struck by, I, I did the Roots Roundtable and Zilla Rocka was there. And he was talking about how um, the song off Blueprint, uh, uh, the one where he's running for president there. What was the H to the Izzo? Izzo. Where he's like, that beat is so simple, my son can make it. It's just a super simple beat. Oh, and, that's a fire song, though. But, Absolutely. But he, he was Easy. saying, he's like, I think the roots look down on that kind of stuff. It's simple, but it's a hit, you know? Uh, and these are simple hits, right? If you listen to Jigawa Jigahu and you don't, you just tune out the wordplay, it is the simplest, grooviest shit. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of the key there. There, I think Ride or Die Volume One is selling a style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, selling a style. And we used to always make fun of the Rough Riders skits. They always had way too many skits. <laughs> Love with their skits, but listening to the kit, the skits, and I'm like, no, this is kind of important. Like, for them to to 
to explain what they are. Like to mm-hmm. the audience, like, Buff Rider goes right in to do that shit. You know, <laughs> this, it, it just kind of sets a mood, a specific mood. Yeah, I think the skits are so key. Like, think about Griselda without all the 150, uh, yep. uh, all those, like, uh, you know, Godfather, all those kind of mafioso things. Obviously, they're not the first ones, but I don't, I can't think of, look at those movies again without thinking of Griselda. It just adds to the ambiance and, and all that. And I, I would say also, I think, yeah, I think to your point about selling a style, I think that's definitely very spot on. So like theme, when I say like theme is a possibility, theme, I guess style is kind of the same way because mm-hmm. they all have the energy, even Eve. I was reminded of how, how much oh. I oh, I always like yeah. Eve though. Can't I say I really you. like don't dive into her music all the time, but Eve is was, was a killer. Yeah, yeah and, and this was her coming out. This was like her coming out party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was so far ahead of her time. Like yeah. she mm-hmm. was so far ahead of her time. I was remembering like, Little Kim beefed with her just because she dressed like a normal person. <laughs> Do you remember that? Little Kim was like, you look raggedy. And we'd be like, I don't know. She's got a denim jacket and denim pants. <laughs> Is it? You not see people in denim? Yeah. 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 She, yeah, I mean, it was it was weird, but she could spit. Mm-hmm. And she oh, yeah. She sounded so confident. Um and she was her own. She was her own thing. I, I just appreciated that. Um, and there, and she wasn't. I don't know. There wasn't any of that weird interplay. Sometimes Young Money does too much of that nonsense with Nikki mm-hmm. doing tracks about like whether or not they've had relations or whatever. Whatever. It's <laughs> like, yeah, it takes away from the, her strengths as an MC. Yeah. I mean, she was treated like an equal. That's what I love about Eve. I mean, Eve was treated like an equal on this album. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They back up for her. They let her rock out. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also like a real, this is this is the locks loaded up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are ready. Uh, yeah. So it was, shout out to Jadakiss, who really fell in love with his name being Kiss. And all the wordplay he could do off of the kiss. Oh, God. <laughs> Voices. Um, you know, kiss of death. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, he 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 went hard on that for years. So, um, I think he did. Did he stop that? No seven? I think he may have finally stopped that. No seven. Um, <laughs> good for him. But <laughs> no, but it, it's it, it's a compilation that is trying to sell that R logo. This our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, this is the real shit. This is this is the but like we were just being sold a brand that was the counter to Diddy's brand. Yeah. It and you got rugged, you know. Sorry, you go. know, there was bad boy at the time. And I'm thinking 99, I'm remembering uh Bling Bling was a huge hit back then as well. Uh-huh. So you had that whole movement that was kind of bubbling or that you know, uh, cash money was kind of bubbling as well. Juvenile was on, yeah. Uh, Wayne was so, already, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there was just a lot of, you know, a lot of labels trying to stake their claim, you know, stake their territory and, you know, make, make their name known. Money was made, money was to be made at that point. That's when mm-hmm. the industry was starting to get 
popping and all the label heads knew like holy shit we can make bank and so yeah. i find rough riders were like the perfect they were like they were like for people that didn't like thought that other stuff was a little too glitzy but it's still way more commercial than like an actual underground alternative so they're like i still want to listen to like some stuff on the radio but it's still gritty like i mean fucking dmx like right jada kiss styles like these guys like sound great over like a boom bap dusty beat if they wanted to so yep. it's a yep. it was a great alternative but still was a money maker so much energy like yeah in that compilation it's stupid energy it's and uh i mean when down bottom starts the second song i'm just like this is a southern song like this is mm -hmm. a southern. and then juvenile starts and i'm like thank yeah. you thank you you know um and and what I loved, like when I contrasted these two, uh, like this compilation to the other two, what I liked about this one is that there was a little bit out of, I mean, because they, because, you know, the, you know, it was basically a Swiss Beats uh, showcase. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of outside DNA uh, from, from other, other labels. Like, I mean, like I, you look at the track listing, and who are the guest performers on here? Ooh, let me get it back. Uh, let's see, they had Styles P, Jada Kiss. I, I mean, I think they were on Rough Rider, but uh, Sheik yeah. Lock, uh, yep, yep. Juvenile, yep. Jay Z, yep. uh, Beanie Siegel, Jermaine Dupree, Mace, Big Pun. So, I mean, that's just when you're able to like have your label but also like bring in some outsiders as well. That kind of spice spices things up a little bit. I had forgotten how much I didn't like Mace's flow. <laughs> <laughs> like he started rapping again. I'm like, oh no, he, he just, he sounds like he's reading off a of paper. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's inspired. It's funny. Like Mace has been, Mace is a guy that a lot of like current artists like say there's a big inspiration. I know Kanye's one obvious, but I think even- Pusha T said that, although I don't see the similarities. Guess he liked him. So I don't have, a, I don't hate him or anything, but I never saw what was so special about Mace. No, it, the idea of Mace is much better than Mace. Yeah, I uh, think that's what it. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's, but yeah, there isn't. They're not doing heavy lifting subject matter wise, right? We're we're like, we're shirtless on motorbikes. We're, we're having a good time, but we're not like, you know dissecting the world or getting to the truth mm -hmm. of anything uh, but that's that's what this is it is a brand it is a style uh, and and I'm you brought up dmx think about dmx that i'm listening to and hearing now that i never heard then. like really we were like kind of fascinated by how much he swore and got away with it <laughs> and how insane he was and how like uh, the switch between his moods and all that stuff, right? The the, the stories, the TMZ aspect. Mm -hmm. Listen to him now. Like, everything he says sounds perfectly sung. Yeah. His, the melodic nature of his delivery is hypnotizing to me. Yeah. It's like haunting. And I, I, I think that's why he could never successfully go underground. Yeah, there's too much pop appeal. There's, there's too, too much, much pop, pop appeal in his DNA, in his musical DNA. Even when he's like rapping a verse where it's like he goes from like, 
even when I do, when I do, I don't know. And like that part, like, oh, that's catchy. And you're just starting to head bob, yeah. even though he's saying yeah. like, and he has a bunch of what? Like all that crap in it. Like it sounds just infectious, even without it's, trying, which is yeah. amazing. No, he was just, he was, a, he was, a, he could sing. Uh, yeah. That's, that's what struck me. That, that's what I was, I think the last song is called Some X Shit. I was surprised by the flow. He he had a flow on there that was kind of, it was kind of like a call and a response type of flow, but like he was rapping hard and then he would respond like melodically and like a melodic tone. And I mean, it was very like, I mean, I, I, I'd never noticed it before, like before, like I, before, like I started paying hello before, uh, like I was really paying attention to it, but you're right. There is, a lot of melody to his his flow a lot and you could see how he's influenced like i you know you've seen like in in today's times you know you can't really rap without you can't be a mainstream rapper without having some type of melody in your flow so mm-hmm. you can you kind of can tie that to dmx in a lot of ways well and, and how interesting is it that some of these rappers who have like heavy New York rappers who have heavy melody in their flow, they're completely free of any argument about how they oversing or like they're always relying on that. Like, no one ever said that about 50 Cent, even though he was heavy melodic. Yeah, mm-hmm. no one ever said that about DMX. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, this is interesting. We like kind of you know, we get at other people for having that, but. We liked it. We like it sometimes. I feel like when it's your defining trait is when people start to pay more attention and then get more critical because you're right about that. But also, obviously, all of the the gruff delivery, the ad libs and stuff like that, people would think about DMX, the swearing, like you said, just like the brash nature. So that could be why he got away with it because like, yeah, you're right. And also there's people like these days that I think are really influenced him influenced by him that i didn't previously realize like freddie gibbs feels like a smoother version of dmx like he's way less staccato and all that but the Mm. freddie does a very similar thing where i also felt because i listened to him maybe 2008 when i first heard freddie gibbs and i was that's three five years before he had that pinata album so i was always thinking i'm like man this guy's gotta get gotta get pop in one day he's just too catchy there's just right. too much rhythm. There's too much melody. There's too much energy in this to not work. And obviously it did work. Yeah. And I think when he signed to Jeezy's label, like he, you could see the hooks change and really mm-hmm. he, the hooks went to another level. Um, and then, yeah, he weaponized that. Um, but it, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great comparison with, with Gibbs and him. Um, I, I think that generation, right. My generation I don't want to call them that generation. Um, are they had a thing like, like I tell my wife, I don't like honey. I don't like honey. She starts naming all the shit she makes me that has honey in it. And I'm like, yeah, a little honey. <laughs> I to look at it just a little bit, mix it in the, and I'll have <laughs> Tell me about it. Keep it under wraps. Um, that's kind of how we wanted our melody. <laughs> like your shirtless on a motorbike and you're swearing and that's what i'm going to focus on you know i'm not going to yeah. think about how 
catchiness. Um, I think that was how we were. A lot of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can look at Pac too. Like, yep. there's just that's that's. I always usually make the 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 reference for Freddie is always Pac to me. But you're right when you're saying DMX, I see that too. But Pac, like, man, no one. I never heard anybody when I first got into hip hop when I was younger said, "Oh yeah, Tupac's got such a good like singing voice. He's such mal." No one ever even thought to say that. No, no, but they, but I, I ser- like in the army, I remember like like sitting around with poker games and putting on Tupac and everyone is singing it like singing it as we're playing poker um but like not really registering that we're singing I think you're absolutely right um it's it's weird but it's interesting I think in terms of general goals um I I had two things that stuck with me one of them uh, Katie, he's already put on the table here. Uh, it's all about production. It's all about you showing what kind of production your label has. Right? Mm-hmm. Here's our sound. Uh, and the other thing is, it's got to be too long. <laughs> it has to be too long. This was and under it, an hour, right? I think it is. And even then, it felt too long. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember uh stro elliott was on the uh super duty tough work podcast uh great dude smart stuff he said what you want to do when you set up your website he's a big set up your website guy. and he says when you're an artist you set up your website make sure to have everything you ever did in a music section mm-hmm. because you want you want to wow them with how much you've done you want mm. them to be scroll down and be like, wow. Wow, there's a lot this, of work here. Yeah. This, uh, it, it, because as if I'm an album guy and I fall in love with this stuff, now I'm going to dive. I'm going to just dive into this world and start collecting, right? Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of what a compilation is trying to do. And also you have to think that is exactly correct. Plus we're in 99 when people are buying CDs. So having a longer album was not the same. Oh, I'm taking too much time out of my day. They're like, oh my God, that's sweet. I paid $12 and now I have so much music versus if this was a 30 minute project. So that was also, I don't even, I don't know if I didn't live at that time. I don't know if it was encouraged, but it was definitely accepted 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think the ways that people listen to music as well, like when I when I was in Chicago, you know, I remember people bumping it in the car. Uh, you know, I remember walking the street and people like we had boom boxes back then and people would would have the CD running from the boom box. You know, what I mean, so it, it's and now I feel like nowadays people listen to music more when they're, you know, either like going for a jog or in the gym or they're working from home. Mm-hmm. I, I want to jog with a boombox. That would be awesome. It's probably a good exercise. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing to add on to this point, because you make great points, is we didn't have the developed media industry that we have now, right? So you put out a compilation album, and now you've got buyers who bought that album who are saying, who's the guy on track 12? Right? Mm. 
I know, I know this guy and I knew this guy and they delivered also this guy on track 12. I really want to buy his stuff. Uh, so you create your own, you know, promo in a sense uh, that you didn't have back then where you could, you couldn't just like send the artist to this blog or this yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this, as I said, this was the, this was the album that launched Eve. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, you didn't have to do like a big tour to, to tell everybody she was cool. You just played that song and people were yeah. like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But and it was it was weird because it felt like rap crews at that time were kind of looking for a girl to add to the crew. Yeah. Mm. Yep. It didn't always work out. Um, fit wise, it just didn't work out. Right people, right place, you know. Um but this, the fit between Eve and the Rough Riders is perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it represents that kind of like when you're at the top and they're at the top because Swizz like gets discovered uh, like Jay-Z's, like volume two is kind of mostly Swizz, right? Yeah. And so, and that album charts way high. You know, that is that yeah. is the biggest. That was number one. And so his name is buzzing like crazy. And he does kind of exactly what you should do at that point. Right? Like he he takes the people he has, puts them all in one place, and goes, You like that? Boom. He gets Jigawa Jigahoo from Jay, puts it in the middle, and goes, Now buy into my experience. And it launches this this attack. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fantastic. It's why like Mike Will made it, snatched up those two goons, and made race Remen. Like race him, yeah. Because he wanted he he want you want to control your own success at some point. Yeah, Swizz's moves have been underrated. Yep. So his moves have been under, underrated. I mean, the dude literally no other proof required than he has rapped on however many verses he's rapped in his life, that amount of verses too many than he should have. Yet somehow he always gets allowed to rap a verse and it's always usually trash. Oh, yeah. But he's he's just allowed to because people like him. He's definitely good when it comes to the relationship A&R side and his beats are still good. I, I still He still makes good beats now. He just doesn't produce as the same prolific rate, but he can still well, produce his ass off. It's kind of like a spot up shooter who can play for for twenty years as long as he can hit the shot. You know, yeah. he's yeah. still just making these bangers and like the the move. One of the moves, this these devilishly clever moves that he makes. He opened a studio where people could record, and guess what? You know, Snoop is stopping by. You know, all these people are stopping by to record their albums, and Swizz is in the building, and he's like, "Let me throw you a beat." <laughs> Smart. He's on everybody's shit. Yeah. I mean, you think about I you. You could argue that the reason they got most of the guest artists that they got on this album was because of Swizz. Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. So, oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, I, I, I. Listen to it. Uh, listen to this album in 2021. This was a Swiss showcase for me. 
it, it was surprisingly fun. Um, and there's just a lot of good minds behind this album. I, the, I loved play. I loved mixing up the playlist with the anti-con one. <laughs> I didn't try doing that. I definitely didn't try doing that. Oh, it was so good. I would do like two anti-con songs and then be like, bang, give me a Rough Riders song. Uh, because, I mean, that anti-con was 32 songs. It's not, it's not short. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it is... I, it kind of made me, um, it made me a little emotional. I mean, this is kind of the sound of Maine, you know. Uh, a lot of these guys are from Maine. Uh, Soul, mm-hmm. Alias, uh, you know, you know, DJ Mayonnaise who's on that label who uh, retweeted that we were doing this. Uh, they're all people from like Maine, New England area, Sage France from Rhode Island. Um, and they started this thing. And it was it was boldly different. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Listening to it now, and I, I'd be interested in how you you heard it, uh, K Diggy, but it sounded like a bunch of kids who were like no, I think rap music can do what alternative music does. Hmm. And basically set out to do it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it ties into what you were saying uh, at the start of the show about, you know, the different levels of expectation, uh, depending on where you're at in the, I guess, music hierarchy, hip hop hierarchy. And for me, like, it just sounded like it was a bunch of kids, you know, just having a good time and just making music and wanted to show the world what they could do collectively uh, as a group. And they weren't like, it it didn't sound like, you know, they they were trying too hard or they were trying to make like a masterpiece compilation album. It just sounded like they just wanted to show the world what they could do as a label. I was, yeah, I was floored by the production at hand, by how good the production sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still, it sounds beautiful for a lot of the points. And that was one of my biggest takeaways, definitely in contrast, especially with the Rough Riders, as we just talked about, that was basically a big objective was a Swiss beats showcase yet. I find the producer is given so much more time to breathe. There's at least a couple instrumental tracks here. If not a lot of songs where it's like instrumental music for like two minutes of the the track. And I found Mm -hmm. that was particularly interesting because in addition to what, what K Diggy was saying there, I think uh, another key objective that this album had was to, I can't, I'm trying to figure out a way to just how to describe it, but it's this sound that has like warm ambient elements to it, but very lo-fi still like the drums are often like very lo-fi and you made a a very good point, Dan, about like hip hop's answered alternative music, because I actually had this thought independently as I was listening to this album, I was also listening to one of odd Nasdem's album uh burner 
And the same thing applies because that type of singing is here too, where it felt like dream pop. Yes. The, the, the way of singing, the mm. tone, the vocal uh, kind of effects they had, the just the tone of it, the timbre, and then mixed with that kind of like ambient, really uh, in your face, kind of like it collides with the voice to where the voice isn't trying to be too separate. It's very like mixed in with the beat. It gave me so much dream pop vibes. And I thought that was super interesting to hear. I never noticed it when I listened to this music like way back when. And I loved it for the most part. I mean, yeah, no, there's a bunch of emotional reactions listening to this album. But like, you're right. Uh, Darla is the example I would give on that. That Y song, Darla, which is like mm-hmm. about a pet in a cage. Track 29, yeah. It's so weird, but it's so like alternative. Like it's it's sung kind of in a very alternative way. Uh, my other takeaway from this was just deeply missing Alias, uh, Brandon Whitney. He, I, I don't know. I don't know how familiar you are with Alias, bro. Uh, Not incredibly familiar. No, I know like good amount of music though, but. basically the best he's basically the biggest talent that Maine's ever produced in terms of hip hop Uh, he's an incredible producer was known as an incredible producer like great pitchfork marks all that shit Um, he was but he could rap too Mm -hmm. I saw him live and I was just like wow he was rapping and he was killing it and he kind of just, I don't know, he kind of stopped rapping and focused on the producing. So, like, the best rapper in Maine at any given time was whoever Alias liked and would give beats to. Because mm. he was that he was that good. Uh, so, there's some Alias stuff on here that floors me. I mean, it, it, he, he passed away. Uh, yeah. So... It's it's been sad to have him gone, but Divine Disappointment is just a hell of a song. Oh yeah. Hell of a song. Wow. Um and you know, the deep puddle dynamics stuff was wild with slug and all these people in the mix, dose one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? Okay, Diggy, the one you when you were talking about them just having fun, mm-hmm. uh, do you remember that uh, that sample of them on stage talking to the crowd? It was like live at a venue, and he was like, "Oh, wait, wait, wait. yeah." You remember yes, I... back when Soul was body rocking, uh, and they could cut to Dose One, and they were like, you know, Dose One was you know. Coming from the chamber, and then he's like, "Coming from the chamber," and he, he does a big, big voice. He's, it, they're just having a ball, you know. They're just enjoying. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I think you know the expectation was they wanted to have fun, but they wanted it. I, it, it almost served as like a mission statement for what their, what their label, Anticon, what it stood for. Yep. yep. Um, so, like, I've never heard. This is the only. This is the only piece of work that I've heard from 
any artists on Anticon. And just oh. hearing this, like I know what, what they stood for. I know what the label uh, stood for, what they were trying to communicate, you know, what they were trying to, you know, transmit out into the world. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, I, I, you know, it's breathtaking. It was breathtaking for me, right? It was just a lot there because as jarring as some of the sounds were, as weirdo as some of the songs got, there's some really pretty sounds. Um, mm-hmm. What was that? Think of the, the pity party people interlude. Oh, that one was so nice. It's yeah. so pretty. Like, I think it's 19 seconds. It's just beautiful. Um, and it comes after the excessively strange It's Them by themselves. Uh, it's perfect. It just, they, they, they're just throwing you in all these different directions. Mm-hmm. And you don't care. And that is, that's a great brand. It's a great brand. And I think you said they're throwing each other, I mean, throwing us in a variety of different directions. I find that aspect of this compilation is very similar to Bushido in that it is definitely showing off one of the key aspects is showing off the diversity. It's like, look at our, our label. There's a look at all these different artists and sounds and vibes we can give you. But I found it flowed really nicely in yeah. both cases because I think to K Diggy's point, they all exist in the same creative world. They all seem to abide by that mission statement. So I never even really caught myself noticing the transition. I'm like, oh, this is a really different song from that other one because it kind of just made sense. It flowed even though the songs could be quite jarring and different a lot of times. And and one thing I noticed too is also, you know, the compilation, the name of the the name of the album is Anticon Label Sampler 1999 to 2004. And the the compilation was released in 2004, so it almost serves as a look back they're not creating for the future. It's almost as they're looking back at the last five years of the label and giving you what they think truly embodies the last five years of, you know, not only the label, but their lives as yeah. artists in general. That's great. And I think that that's, that's a key distinction between this and the other two compilations are the other two are looking for they're like a you know like a bookmark like okay this is where we're at in 2021 and and in 1999 but this was more like the anticon out compilation album was more of this is where this is what we did for the last five years this is where we were at Mm -hmm. right see all this we've already accomplished it you know uh and that's and you should catch up you know Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a good deal you know, and it was, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, it was, it's good that it's long because it's dizzying, right? It's and you, don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to hear every track, but if you hear enough, you'll, you'll pick sections apart or follow artists and listen to those artist tracks and it'll, you'll grow from there. Yeah. And I think it also, uh, uh especially in hindsight i don't i can't speak to how big they were at the time in 2004 but in hindsight seeing names like odd nosdom and, and themselves some of the bigger artists that came out of that that uh, label obviously 
how timeless the sound is. I, I can't even still to this day, I'm trying to think of a reference point. I'm like, oh, that artist like does a similar thing. And now when it comes to the sound production, I still don't know of a producer that has that odd Nosdom weird tape hiss. Like I, I can't describe it. It's so warm and like warped. There's those field recordings. I don't know if any artist has even tried to do that. No, I agree. <laughs> well, and that's the crazy thing is like, we're like, We've we've looked back and everybody celebrated Def Jux, right? And how experimental their sound signature was. And Anticon kind of gets left out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And they were crazy experimental. They didn't have the talent on the roster. Yeah, that that's the main reason. Def Jux had. But in terms of production, they were super ahead of the game. Um, and interesting. Uh Innovative. I remember there was a podcast, Call of Culture podcast, where Curly Castro was talking about how, you know, don't sleep on Maine. They do some innovative, weird stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And that reputation is built on these guys, built on Anika. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, just a, a really interesting label. And I hope that they are kind of rediscovered and put to the forefront in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys still do those uh, recommendations at the end, so I'm just going to say this one now, and then I'll try to think of one later. But Bur- <laughs> Burner, Odd Nasdam. I don't know. Is that how you... By the way, I never knew how to say his name. Is it Odd Nasdam? Odd Nasdam? Nasdam uh, sounds better, but I don't know. We all, we all said Odd Nasdam. We all... Nasdam? Okay, cool, cool. Yep. So Odd <laughs> Nasdam, Burner, two, I think came out in 2006. That album is unbelievable i was listening to it while i was in a walk on a walk sunny just was exactly what i needed it's it's kind of like oddly sad in a lot of ways and i actually had a, a little back and forth with him on twitter yeah and it it really was illuminating some of like the gunshots I, I had a whole thing about how i thought this song sounded like he's like yeah it was field recordings of like uh, asian some asian gang was like had a crazy violent interaction with these these people right outside his house and he recorded it and that's on untitled too and i'm like Woo! okay that adds to it but on nasdam burner that's a classic uh, it's yeah and, and that's how effective this compilation was right that you were like i'm reaching back on these guys because they were unique and interesting and fully formed in a lot of ways right they didn't interlock and depend on one another for successful songs right mm-hmm. uh, they could kind of all make their own stuff or make collective stuff. And it was fun either way. Um, you know, soul still making albums. A lot of these guys are still rocking. Yeah. You know? A lot of them are. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, pivoting to Bushido. I have to say, I think I might like the narratives around Bushido even more than Bushido. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Start with the, the first, right? The most important narrative that comes out of Bushido for me as a hip-hop fan is, and this is just me cooking up weird, wild conspiracy theories with no information. Um, Alchemist does Haram, which is a huge step. Mm-hmm. Huge step. And then he does this song with Kelly Chris. 
and he's tweeting about Curly Castro and how great he is. And my head is spinning, and I'm thinking, what if Alchemist is kind of bored with the pop guys? I think he's I, been telling us that for years now. Like, think with, about his past work. We got Freddie from, Gibbs is the closest. Yeah, from action to Freddie, he's just kind of like moved on. And if he's peeled off the top of a layer of like the next level guys and like he can do full albums with these guys that would be amazing i think that's a good point because uh that was like one of the things i never really understood about the alchemist and it's something i don't understand in general just as a non-artist but sometimes it just seems so obvious what an artist probably could do to make at least like just just on not business side just purely like what would make the best music and i find the answer a lot of times for these big name producers that just get with like popper like more mainstream acts that are just so average it's like just get with one of these underground cats your name is the alchemist people are going to flock to it anyway and you'll just make a alfredo which is freddie gibbs is the most mainstream guy he's worked with in a long time and he's still at this point, maybe Freddie's actually mainstream, but I I have a debate about that. He's still kind of like half, but right, right. action was still relatively underground, but popular-ish. Boldy James, still pretty underground. Currency is kind of cult, but he's obviously established. And then right. Freddie again, and obviously now Haram. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's a good kind of hint we're seeing. I think he wants to peel back the layer and go even more underground. Because he saw with Haram how successful that was. People, like, if the quality is good, he's still going to get his respect. And I hope he's not in for it to the for the money at this point. Because I'm sure he doesn't. Yeah, need it. I mean, because I'll be honest, I think there's something. I think there's something cold blooded about what Muggs does. I think there's it like they're both talented. Obviously, like Muggs is a legend, one of my favorite producers ever. But there's something kind of cold blooded and economic about what Muggs does. He kind of like. Once you reach this level of visibility within the hardcore sphere, then I do an album with you. Mm -hmm. It's whether, like a rite of passage. Yeah, whether it's mm. Eno, whether it's Rome Streets, whether it's whoever. You reach this level, we do an album together. Thank you for your business. Um, and he just kind of keeps running in the same circle. You know what I mean? He's looking at Crime Apple like, your number's up, we'll do it then, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I mean, it, so Alchemist wants to play and wants to get weird. And who better to do that with than, you know, uh, Kelly Chris or, you know, Curly Castro or any number of these cats who are just like, sound amazing over that stuff. And he has that, uh, he's involved. I don't know if you guys saw it on social media uh april 30th there's some album we don't know what it is that's coming that had the same photo was tweeted by a number of artists including the alchemist and we're talking about earl is the one i'm hoping it's his project we know the yeah. relationship but past that we're talking about people that are definitely not to the level of an action bronson ever was even definitely not a freddie gibbs uh pink saifu boldy uh. james obviously navy blue mavi People that make sense, but again, he doesn't he doesn't need to be making music. He's definitely above them in stature. And I love that he's doing something with them. Love it. And 
I'm mm-hmm. expecting him to continue at this point. You're in the, he actually, you're, you're making a good point. It reminds me of kind of like that later day, uh, the, what we talked about with Pharaoh Monch, I forget the term I used where mm-hmm. you reach a certain level where it's a passion project phase. Yep. Alchemist doesn't need to be chasing recognition legacy. He's not worried about his legacy. Yeah. And definitely not money. So it's like, I just want to do what I'm passionate about. And I think he's just really energized by these underground cats these days. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you get to, if you get too bored, right. Feeding that economic model, you become less good at what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have to put both feet in what you're doing. Right. To do and, it. and what I would say is like, at, you know, as your level gets higher, the expectations get higher as well. So, if you're working with certain artists, there are certain expectations for, you know, what your sound should sound like, or, you know, the quality of the beat. Like you're not, the higher you go, the less experimentation that you can do. Right. So if you're able to work with these, you know, these bubbling rappers or artists, you're able to experiment more and you're able to kind of stretch your wings a little bit more than you are with, you know, someone like a, a Freddie Gibbs at this point. Yeah. And there's no rule saying he can't feed Eminem a beat if he wants to while he's producing Pink Sifu album. Like, mm-hmm. kind of do both if he wants. Like, no problem. But, because you're not losing the names out of your phone. Like, you know. Right. Uh, but he can he can put his energies in different places and have a ball. But so that, that album makes me, that song makes me excited uh, hoping, hoping for more Iron Steel Samurai. Uh, but the other narrative is this is a different homeboy Sandman. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I feel I've, like he's been different for years at this point. I've listened to a lot of homeboy Sandman and I just think he was always like caught in between worlds. Right? He wasn't the conscious rapper, right? He, he had a sense of humor. He had the sense of like telling you personal things, but personal things really weren't here or there. Mm-hmm. Like just kind of talking to you, very conversational. Uh, but because of that, none of his albums ever, he never had the album where I could be like, you've got to hear this album, right? Um, but Trauma was closer than I've ever seen him be to that. That that album, are you talking about the album or that song? The album. Yeah, the album. Yeah, Don't Feed the Monster. That one that one was the one that changed it for me. That's why I was like, I disagree with you just because I feel like, but only 2020s, it was like a year ago. Because that one was when he, I think he found his niche. Where, yep. yeah, because he was caught between kind of being like almost like a lazy stoner vibe, lackadaisical. And it was funny, he's charming because of how much he doesn't give a fuck. And that does, don't not giving a fuck led to a lot of emotional issues and just like avoidance issues but he never really gave you enough to like latch on to but then don't feed the monster came and then he just bared his soul and then rapped just incredibly well too with quelly chris supplying the beats and i love that album like i absolutely love that that was definitely my top 20 i think and he's just continuing that that dropped the same week that open mike eagles anime trauma and divorce dropped Mm-hmm. People were bundling them in the discussion of that week. People were like, you know, which album do you like better or whatever? And I think, I mean, I think Open Mike Eagle is one of the best guys 
out, period. Like, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to have Homeboy Sandman in that conversation was somewhere he hadn't been in a while. Um, and Verse Truly, I think, is one of his best songs ever. I love that song. Wow. I love that song. I was going to say, he I, does good. I love None. I feel like None was my. None was my favorite track on the the album. It's definitely like top two for me. Yeah. Definitely. So wow. Yeah. But I mean, he. I I think, like you said, Dan. I I think there was. He found his level of sincerity. Uh, there there was like there was just a warmth to it, that was like very endearing. This is like none is my favorite. None track ten, is my favorite. Probably my favorite track of 2021. Uh, yeah, and for me, it's just the the level of warmth, the level of like I feel like I really got to know him on a in a way that is a lot more relatable than than trauma the tr- than than I got to know him on trauma. Don't feed the monster. Yeah, I mean it was. Or don't feed the monster. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and I think you know the when his. You were talking about how good he is on this album in the review. And I think it was, it, it's hit a point. Uh, and I don't know if it was working with Kelly Chris, having the freedom to do what he wanted. Uh, but there's a point where, like, he starts, whenever he starts rapping on Bushido, I'm like, everybody be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody shh. Everybody shh. I've got to hear this. Um, because. He's just, it's easy introspection. It's like he's not mm-hmm. even trying. Yes. It's just like, I'm just going to have a day. I just am a person that is always open. And you're like, oh, yeah, genuine. And, and the thing I think he does that I, I think I may have said, I don't, not on this show, but in my show, I guess, that he, the way he says it too is so important because you obviously are allowed to. And I find it just as genuine potentially if you're very like poetic and, and coded with your introspection, but the way he says it, it's it's clever wordplay. But the words he's saying are so plain and simple that you just can't avoid it. Like trauma, the track trauma, that was yep. like the first time I'd heard a Homeboy Sandman song and like love, loved. I was like, it took me so many plays to realize what he was saying because I just was not ready to take it in this story he was telling that's yeah. just he just caught that and it's never leaving him now hopefully at least yeah yeah it, it's it's you know it's like when when a player just unlocks a new level seven years in you know mm-hmm. it's like holy smokes you know um that's that's how it feels and you know i can't wait to hear his next album i can't either I yeah can't he's wait. found the right he's found the right balance i think like some players you know, when they come in the league, they're tried to do like they 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 fluctuate from extremes, mm-hmm. and then eventually, you know, there's some players that get to a point where they recognize the cert the right amount of both extremes and find that middle pathway. Yep, and the game just becomes easy to them because they know how to do everything. They know like the right amount of 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 the extreme to put in their game and they just they just found that middle path and they just go down there and they just dominate the game effortlessly uh 
so I mean, like, like I think of like a guy like James Harden. If we're 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 thinking yep. of players, yep, yep. Uh, and I yep. think Homeboy Sam, I think like he, his work on this album is him finding that middle path. Yeah, so and, and I yeah, so I'm the game is definitely coming easy to him. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? What other narratives do you think come out of Bushido? I think the biggest narrative I got from from them is that I didn't really realize or I didn't quantify necessarily just how soulful and organic their sound is. I didn't realize that all of them together have that even the people who maybe you don't initially kind of uh, equate him to it, but like a sky zoo, I didn't realize that his sound is so fitting with these artists, even though he does, he can rap on a more dirty, uh, gritty track. He always tends to have some nice jazz, some nice soul. And then himself, he's such like a good guy. That's just how he raps. You just know he's a good guy. So that wholesome, organic, soulful feeling was just all over this album even on tracks that are like nothing like the other that was like the connecting tissue yeah yeah and it made that like it's uh that's their their motto right sounds beautiful like the truth um and i think that it makes it a more coherent listen because it's all very soulful mm-hmm. uh, but it makes you know kelly chris stand out right on Bane Brain because it's just it's just so different. Oh, um, that, that was such a good track. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Well, and that's Kelly Chris doesn't really need a verse to steal the show. That's the thing. Mm. If you give him the hook, he's already you know stolen the song. Uh, he's yeah, he's he's full swag. You know, and for me, like I. I thought what Bushido did was, and I don't know if this metaphor will make sense, but I think if you understand, like, if you understand the philosophy of the hive, and I, I'm by hive I mean like a beehive, then you understand, you can appreciate and understand the individual bee more. So for me, like, if you can understand, like, you know, the philosophy of the the mellow group and you can understand what they stand for. Then in the future, you know, when one of their artists release a, an album or a project, we have an understanding of where they're coming from and it helps us appreciate them even more. Yep. Uh, so I, and uh, you know, that kind of ties into, you know, why then the album is named Bushido or the compilation named Bushido. So I think they do a good job of establishing, you know, what, their label stands for and you know providing a context for the listener to understand like uh you know a homeboy sandman or an open mic eagle because we understand and we know where they're coming from and understanding what they stand for Mm -hmm. one of the things that they stand for and it is very slick they're very well run uh is they, they first, they put their foot in the door, bringing in kind of people who had been pop people, but were old now and had kind of fallen off the radar, right? Mm-hmm. Popular, important rappers like OC did, a, did an album with Apollo Brown. Yeah. 
did an album with La Orange, right? Uh, all of a sudden, Joel Ortiz falls from grace. He's on mellow music. Stolly falls from grace on, on Maybach. He's on mellow music. So they, they're good at bringing those kind of, of giving those guys a second chance, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to be a retirement home. <laughs> so they have got, they bring young new cats all the time. Namir Blade, you know, Solemn Brigham. They bring young cats in, and then they in this compilation, one of the things they really dig, they mix them up. Yeah. They mix they them up. Rock rock, right? Uh, Joel Ortiz, Namir Blade, Stolly, and Solemn Brigham. That was heat. Of young it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work, but it does. Us? Open Mike Eagle, the mere blade, eloquent, symbol of hope. I mean, just they're doing this all throughout of just like taking the kid and the vet and putting them together. I loved he, Outlast. I loved hearing dueling experts with Joel Ortiz. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like to go back to the sports metaphor, there's some there's some teams where the culture is so strong, they're willing to take chances on veterans because they know like once they get in here, they'll figure it out. We'll give them a direction, we'll we'll give them a role, and they'll figure out the figure out how to use their talents best. They're like the Patriots. Yeah. 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 Legit. Legit. The Spur, I think of the Spurs are another yeah. team like that. Yep. Yep. I mean, they've renewed Rudy Gay's career, made that man millions. Yep. I mean, and there's people I don't even listen to a lot. Like, I don't listen to a lot of R.J. Payne. Uh, I think, you know, David Ma accurately kind of puts, like, I don't need people yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> From a texture standpoint, I work hard. I work hard all day, you know. I'm raising a kid. I don't need you yelling at me. I didn't do anything wrong. Anyway. <laughs> but RJ Payne comes on here uh, on a black man and he and kills it. Amazing. Uh, Murs comes on, turned uh, Garveyite and really smart song where he is pulling quotes. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, that was such a strange song. Bars after it, the connect to the next. <sighs> Quote. Oh, uh, I love that song. What is it, it, Murs has been rapping so long that you get the vibe like he's like bored with doing it conventionally. <laughs> I know this is one of his like YouTube videos, like because I, I don't I'm forgetting the publication that he's worked for many, like he's so big into that. Right. And for the longest time, I didn't know they were the same person. Like he he's been big on like that, I don't know what you call it, music discussion stuff for a while. But I was independently getting to Murs like five, ten years ago. And I was like, oh, this guy's called Murs. That's funny. Yo, it's like the rapper. And I didn't notice because I never knew what these guys look like. I don't watch these right. music videos. And I felt like I was listening to one of his videos. Like he had like the quote coming up and making like some cool point about music because he's so smart. Yeah. I fuck I fuck with that. I think the this this uh compilation showed just how fundamentally sound they are there was no there's no weak there's only one song i really didn't like the others 
every single artist had something that they brought to the table that was really good. And I think it all gets brought together just because their production and the sound is like, if you have Apollo Brown, Odyssey, uh, Quelle Chris, uh, Eloquent, and other guys like that, just making the sound for this, like it's, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm about to say is, is patently sacrilegious and both of you should distance yourself from it. Um, <laughs> but I find Odyssey's rapping a little bland. Now or just in general? Over the years, mm. me and a friend of mine have debated whether or not we actually like Odyssey. And I don't think either of us know. Extra, <laughs> where he's like, I quit. I quit this Odyssey thing because, like, the production is so good. He's a very good producer. Um, he's he's good at rapping, I suppose, but I don't remember anything he's ever said. I think Odyssey is someone that he is very good. I think he's good technically at rapping at this point. I think that goes without saying. I think he sometimes lacks like a a real personality or some quirk or some it factor to his to his verses that I think kind of let, leads itself to not be as memorable. I think if anything lyrically though, like he still does it for me because I love his subject matter, and that's why I agree with you that I found Odyssey. While I did like the songs, I really liked how groovy they were. Pretty much, yep. The verses though, it reminds me about why he's not like he's not someone that I would say is a good feature or a good one-off verse. Like when you take the context or a whole narrative of an album, like the good fight, I love that album because that whole, what it stood for is very like mellow music group. Uh, just yep. so wholesome, so much grown man rap, so much just like doing it your own way, independent, smart guy. But in, in little, little pieces. Yeah. He's a little underwhelming at times. And still and, good, but I don't feel the exact same, but he's still a little and underwhelming after like, coming after yours truly to swing into like no trouble uh, was just, ah, you're like, he's unlocked it, but you have not like uh, that was what it felt like to me, but the, to focus on the positive here, like I, I, I buying all the solemn Brigham stock. I can. He killed every, it. Every, yeah. I put Marlo on any song. My wife starts dancing. Like it is, this is what it is. He, he, his flow, his, his ability, his technique is, is great. He's not someone that clicks really, uh, at least for me, he didn't click very early. I heard Marlo one when it came out, as soon as it came out, heard it recommended from a couple people I know. And I was, not unimpressed, but I was just so like, all right, next, like right. Yeah. not too wowed by anything. And I, and I fucked with LaRange at that point already. Oh yeah. But Marlo two about last year, I finally kept listening to it and then it just unlocked. And then I realized this guy's got such a personality and an energy and a lyrical ability. That's just so he pops off the page. Like anytime he's on a track. Marlo two is an enormous step up. From, Huge from step up. Larange yeah. too killed like his production went way out there, more than just the jazzy rap typical, and it worked. Marlo one, I was like, kind of like I don't know what you see in this guy, but I'll roll with you. Um, and by Marlo two, I was like, holy shit, this is like a you knew and I didn't. And this is a thing, um, and I think it just continues here because 
whenever he's put near other people, he smashes it. Uh, <laughs> you know, as we said, Black Rock, he smashes it. Uh, yeah, he's just yeah. The Marlo song, the solo song is great. Uh, there's also say shout out to Kambada. I really liked that Nightmare song. That was fun. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think I think they did a great job. Now that now that you mentioned like the production, I think they did a great job with the sequencing of the album. Uh, you like the first half, you could tell was very, you know, mid tempo. And then it kind of ratcheted up, like from track eleven to twenty, the the energy is a little bit higher. Yeah, I got more rapidy rap in the middle too. Yeah, and so that helped me appreciate the way that they broke it down. Helped me appreciate it. It helped me, like not only helped the flow, but helped me appreciate each song a little bit more than I would have. And I think Dan, sorry, no, I was gonna say Dan, you, you, I, I wanted to before I forget, mention the fact that they're so well run. Yo, yeah. Look at all the art, like, look at all the albums that are already set to release that just got announced. We're talking Sky Zoo has been like one of my highly anticipated ones. And his only verse, I think he only has one on this, was my favorite track, Ta-Nehisi, the, the music, or Ta-Nehisi, the vocals. Oh, just yeah. everything about that from the beat to the, the verses was perfect. It's, but it's fabulous. Yeah. They have that. Mm -hmm. They have Apollo Brown and Raheem Devon, yep. which the one single is cracked, mm -hmm. straight fire. Like that is a beautiful track. And then Nabir Blade, Larange. I already know that one is coming out in the next month or two. I don't know the exact date. And I'm sure there's going to be someone else, one of these bigger names. I wouldn't be surprised if Odyssey's been not releasing much recently he had that odd uh the odd cure which was kind of like seemed like a mixtape vibe i wouldn't be surprised if we get an odyssey project come out of this they're so well run they didn't they didn't release this just for money they're ready to set something up yeah no that's i mean it that needs to be in the conversation right because you're looking at uh the the talent they you know it's kind of like baseball managers the talent is putting the right like order out there, putting the right mm -hmm. line, right? Mm -hmm. They put I mean what they have slated, right? On this we'll watch it on the 16th, two days from now, as we record this. It's they're gonna release season of the seven, which is recognized Ali of dueling experts with bronze Nazareth production. Bronze Nazareth is just a genius of like boom bap uh, production. Then in like think May, May 7th, La Orange and Demir Blade. Yeah. And that corner, corner store scandal is a, a crazy dope single. So the game for them is, is the lineups, right? And putting the right lineups out there, mm -hmm. uh, producers with, uh, yeah, producers with rappers and everything else. And producers that are flexible too. I mean, we're talking about that Raheem Devon's going to be a soul album, soul with like a hip hop twist, which I just love the sound of it. And then you have LaRange who can make that wild eccentric stuff with, with uh, uh, Solemn Brigham. But then he's also yep. a guy who's made, it's always in the weirder side, but he made that Jeremiah J 
those oh, couple albums that were actually phenomenal love they they just have great plug and play kind of really versatile artists too that they can match up with these new crop of people that they they find uh and um it did it actually i'm a prime example of how it worked because dueling experts was someone i knew as soon as they came out i listened i didn't i was not impressed for whatever reason right. heard this verse loved it and then i bought dueling experts one and i'm trying to buy the second it's so dope right and now mm -hmm. i want to check out that recognize ali like i didn't oh that's gonna be great. I, I did not even i thought it was just kind of bland rapidly rap but they actually really do have a nice style it's really fun oh, yeah yeah no they know how to make they know how to make rapping into songs like that's you know shout out to them i i think uh it's it's really it's a really interesting thing and they're built on like Apollo Brown and Laurent, right? Those are the kind of key elements right now, production wise. Mm -hmm. And Apollo Brown is a consistent dude. He knows what his sound is. He makes mid-tempo boom bap. That's what he wants to make. That's what he does make. Uh, he's brilliant at it. He'll always give you those, give you what you want. Laurent, he still does boom bap but he kind of deconstructs and reconstructs it. Mm -hmm. um, so when Cool Keith came over, you were like, oh yeah, you go with Laurent. Like that, that's perfect, right? Uh, when, you know, OC comes in, he goes with Apollo Brown, right? Uh, so I th when they said Raheem Devon, Raheem Vaughn, it would, uh, that was just, I was like, that's perfect. That makes total sense. You know, you give him stability and he can, you can fly on that. Yeah. And I find it interesting too is the the main vocalists on the album, I'm not on the album, on the art on the label. Open Mike Eagle, Quelle Chris, yep. Odyssey, they actually don't collab with the producers much. No. Like Open Mike Eagle has nothing, no collabs, and I don't even really know about even like that much production credits from a Larange or Apollo Brown. I can't think of literally one. Same with Odyssey. I can't think of one. Right. And Quelle, Chris, Alchemist. Actually, no, Alchemist. Then no, I don't have any. I have none, which is really interesting. I think they kind of know it's like having sports again, like three players that you don't need to put anything around them. They're just going to take them, your, yeah. your team, and bring them to the playoffs and shit. So you don't have to worry about them. Let them do their thing. Use the producers as your supporting pieces, your chess pieces to put around with all these other guys to bolster them, give them like a real proper sound. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at Kelly, Chris can produce it all himself if you want. Yeah. And he's right? a producer. Yeah. And Odyssey's the same way. So if those guys have their own stuff, and obviously Open Mike Eagle has crazy vision and he's good to do whatever he wants to do. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, they, they're incredibly well managed. And so the narratives that spawn out of Bushido are fabulous and, and will probably be big buzzing throughout the year. Um, and I hope they have a huge year. I hope, I hope they keep having huge years so that they can kind of fortify the rest of the industry, right? Like, open mic is not on mellow music anymore. He releases through his own shit. Yeah, that's true. Because of how, because of how well he sold on mellow music, he has his own podcast. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, so it's been good.
for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I want them to be a finishing college for artists, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to so they can get their stuff together and and go out and do their thing. Yeah, they're and, a really necessary and, uh, force in the industry right now. Because I mean, the the label is dying out in a lot of ways, especially in the independent scene. A lot of independents don't even have that kind of decision of, oh, should I even pursue this? It's almost always a no these days. But Mellow Music Group is showing you a different way that they have for a decade now, which is that you can be part of a label. You could have that label backing, which they show the actual true benefits of a label still now, which is like A&R work, uh, making connections, budgets. And and just like reputation, respect, because people expect a certain quality level with Mellow Music Group and a certain sound. And Namir Blade is someone I automatically was going to give a shot to just because he's on a Mellow Music Group. Like, I have no idea who the fuck he is. So that just tells you that. And I think they are super important. And I really want to continue supporting them because they're hugely important. I mean, we've talked about in the past, Dan, how like, you know, the the old ideas of what a label are, are, are you know, they're archaic. The, the, the blueprints are archaic now. Yep. So yep. I think Mellow Music is the blueprint that we can use going forward in this new streaming and digital music era for how to develop artists. Because, uh, you know, that's what I think that we've, we mentioned that before. There's not a lot of artistic development uh, in today's music climate. But if you look at Mellow Music's, um, like their blueprint and just their philosophy and generally just the way they go about things, that could serve as a model moving forward about how to develop artists in the, the you know, the streaming climate that we're in right now. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, a great point. It, and in a funny way, it reminds me of comic books. Uh, <laughs> comic books right now, are in a very interesting place because some a, a, a popular writer will do a few years right on Batman. Scott Snyder did a few years on Batman. Did really impress people. Did his thing. And then he goes and he sells independent horror comics on the side. Mm-hmm. Now the the DC stuff. He's not going to be able to collect residual money on that, right? Uh, that's going to be owned by them. But those horror comics that now sell much better because people know him from Batman, that's his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and but it's not like cut and dry. Like uh, the Walking Dead guy, Robert Kirkman, he's like, he'll like never do big comic books again because he wants to own it all, right? Dame Dash style. Um, yeah. But Scott Snyder, people like that, They'll jump in, do some Batman stuff or do some superhero stuff, jump back, do some independent stuff. Why not? Mm. Uh, to have streams of income, uh, to loosen it up, right? No phone plan, no contract, just stay here as long as you want, right? Mm. Uh, and that's kind of mellow music, right? Stay yeah, here. They're like, an, they're like an ecosystem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you if it's just one album, we'll win with that with that album. Like, uh, don't worry about it. But if if you win and you want to stay, 
hey, keep releasing albums with us. It's cool. Yeah. There's no stress. So I think that is that is how labels are going to have to be. And I think there, if you think about Top Dog Entertainment, is something that you're that's coming to mind as we're talking about this. I feel like they suffer from a problem where I actually look at the label as not a label. I look at it as like a giant group. Mm. And I think that's the problem. I mean, I don't, that's a problem I see because Mellow Music Group, to your point, they can just come and go. It seems very low stress. It seems like just win-win, mutually beneficial, no hard feelings. We understand we're a label and we're here to promote artists, make some money, and then you can go do your own thing, whatever. But Top Dog seems like, all I can t- take from the outside, no insider information, obviously, is that just seems like there's odd drama and like over, like like very centralized control with the the two guys and right. punch and, and top. And I feel like they're obviously suffering. We can say artist development; they were the model for artist development for a while, and then they're <laughs> not. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Ever since there. Where is SZA? Where's Isaiah Where's Rashad? Eddie? Where's J Rock? Yeah. Where's anybody? And like, that's why I think Mellow Music Group is so important because Top Dog I thought was gonna be that, and they're even more commercial. So I was like, this is the way to go. This is the model. But it seems like shits happen like a family where they're like going through just tension, and that's right. you don't hear any tension with Mellow Music Group. No, it's a crew. It's a crew dynamic, right? TD is a crew. Yeah, and it's a crew of people that have known each other for a long time, a lot of them, and then it extended from that, and and right. that made it awkward uh, for people. But <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say there, there's been a shift. I think what labels need to recognize there's been a shift. The artists have the power now, as opposed to labels. Uh, so with that power, there's gonna have to be shifts in the way that you operate. Right. Uh, and I think um, I think what Mellow Music does is, you know, what they've done well is, you know, they established their sound and their philosophy. So, you know, if a label, or I'm sorry, if an artist works with Mellow Music, they know what to go in, like they know what their sound is going to, what, you know, they'll they'll have a general idea of what their album will sound like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way, you know, they can do that album and then they can go do another album that could sound completely different. And they have that freedom. Uh, I think, we, you know, with top, like with TDE, Top Dog, they are very like they're very strict about their quality control and what they want their artist albums to sound like and what they think they should sound like. So it can't that that control can be good and that can it can also be restrictive in some ways as well yeah by the way let me give you a weird regional take on mellow music okay because i was reading stuff from a while ago but i became fascinated with mellow uh they started in arizona yeah they're not in la oh they're not in new york they're in arizona so (laughs) they they built what they were doing on very practical bones, you know. Uh, it, w- the guy I talked about it. The guy who runs it said most big studios will have, you know, they'll have a studio that's always open, and artists can just come in, 
whenever they want, lay verses, smoke, hang out with friends. We don't do that. Our artists, like, you know, they're like, you know, work from home college students. You know, they have their shit figured out. They come to the studio, they lay their shit, they leave. We pay for it, mm. but like, they're not hanging out. Um, and I think they built it on practical bones. So you see the first artists that were embraced mellow music are people like Kelly Chris, Apollo Brown, Chris Oric, uh, you know, Odyssey. A lot of those people are from Detroit, stick figure from, you know, whatever, Nebraska, uh, like Midwest forgotten places within the U.S. Mm. And it must have been appetizing to go, wow, these guys are successful and they're not in L.A. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. They're closer to me, you know, and I live in the middle of nowhere. So that's cool. Like that's it's they were kind of an anti-established thing. They were born on practicality. Mm-hmm. They were not born out of a friendship between legendary artists. They were born out of practicality. Um, mm-hmm. so they've held that as their staple. Uh, yeah, just looking at some of the older stuff and you know, Diamond District, that's DC. Uh, you know, just a lot of of really good stuff from places in the in the U.S. to get forgotten about a little bit. Uh, and, and you're bringing up a good point about the fact that almost all the modern labels that I think of, other than like the giant universal ones, you always associate it with like one artist or like two artists because they were di- directly responsible for all of the success. Rockefeller obviously is Jay, and then right. you could look at Kanye and like all those guys dame dash but mellow music group doesn't have that tde has kendrick brain feeder records you were saying la i'm thinking that's pretty successful indie still flying lotus though still flying lotus is shit like mellow music group doesn't have that one guy to where you may feel like overshadowed you may feel like oh it's really their label and then i get their scraps like that's what good music we've heard that kanye was terrible as an executive not not surprising and people's kind of would just get scraps for their album rollouts while one artist would just get this giant thing right. didn't make any sense mellow music group you're like oh i'm gonna get a fair shake it's gonna be like a business it's me well run mm-hmm. i'll get what i need and that's yep. all i'll get yeah no it's uh i feel for you sci high gonna get that budget man uh it's brutal Brutal. Uh, writing all those things for him and writing controversial lines that he blames you for whenever he gets called on. He's like, look, I didn't write my own verse. <laughs> he did. I paid him for the verse and said it, but anyway. Love him. He's such a great guy. So transitioning into recommendation corner, I've organized my recommendations in a humble brag manner. Uh, <laughs> so, was it the 16th? The... Yeah, 16th. I'm going to be talking to Def C. Hey, nice. <laughs> Interviewing nice. Def C. He's got a, a new, he's, he had an EP called Scenic. He's got the deluxe edition, twice as much stuff. 
incredible stuff on there. Um, it's a full album now, and it's excellent. Uh, and he's excellent, and he's actually dropping his next album on Backwoods Music. Yep. Uh, under the yeah, under the tutelage of Billy Woods, with uh, Messiah Music uh, producing it, which is going to be incredible. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's great stuff. And so listen to Scenic Deluxe Edition, the FC, and I, I, an incredible talent and a really cool person. I can't wait to talk to him. Uh, on the, I think near the end of the month, I'm going to be talking to Big Smile, Big Flowers, about his album Big Smile. Yeah. And he thought me, he was like, you know, I think recommended him. Uh, but it was, he, he gave me the download code and I was like, I'll, I'll check it out. And it, at first I was like, this is weird. And, and I just fell right into it. It's just, it's, it's so nutty. It's so fun. It's so left field. And it's so collaborative too. Oh, that was the thing I like every song has one to maybe two collaborators on just about everyone that like, cause I, yeah, he sent it to me. I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And I was just like, half asleep i remember when i looked at the track list and i was like wait who are these people what do you mean elusive? right right who's joking who, yeah. who are these well how did this happen why is this in my inbox for free i mean right. and also just a, a note buy the album to anybody i don't know if you actually bought it bought it because there's three other songs I did at the not. end no man it's it's crazy i didn't even notice there's i think it's uh yeah i think there's three solid tracks at the end and i think they're all solos two or three Two or three, yeah. And shout out to Big Flowers. If you go to his band camp, K Diggy, he can he sells pillowcases. <laughs> Probably sold out, but you can try. He sold her herb bags. Yeah, I mean this is he's got appreciate the hustle, man. I, I he's they're beautiful. Big, he's selling you Big Flowers toothbrushes. Like he's not playing. <laughs> he's not playing with the merch. Check the band camp. That is an interesting cat, and he's not going anywhere. That's fun. I can't wait to talk to him. So, yeah, that's those are those are my organization, my recommendations. Also, a weird show on HBO Max called Final Space. It's a cartoon. It starts out goofy and kind of lighthearted, and it gets like it ratchets up and becomes sad and emotional, mm. piece by piece. It's it's really it's really quite quite fun. Uh, so, Mr. Rap Music Plug, do you have what do you, what are your recommendations? So I'll start with a shameless plug on my plug on my own. Sure. Big Flowers is also going to be joining my show. I think it's the end of May is what we decided on. Yeah. To, don't have that. Yeah, yeah. End of May, May thirty first. That should be out. I'm super psyched for that. As the reasons you described, I love his creative approach to the merch, especially when you think about the business side. I love it. All sold out. So he, he did well. Um, another shameless plug, but it's legitimately outside of Haram, that Vic Spencer album. I've been bumping Scenic Deluxe for sure. I've just been on a Kinsey Babyface Pearlist binge. Like I've not binged oh. an artist like this in a long time. And it's mainly just because I'm just I'm just floored by how like he's not being talked about. Right. Um, 
and he has an interesting approach. He has his albums are sold like are for pretty high prices, but he has a subscription thing. And some other artists do this where you can subscribe yeah. on Bandcamp for like, I think it's like five bucks a month and you have access to like nine releases, some old ones immediately, right? Instantly to your inbox. I mean, to your Bandcamp, you can download it. And then obviously you get his later, his new stuff, uh, I believe for free. And then you also get discounts anyways. Wow. The, the recommendation, because I've listened to his stuff nonstop, he has a ton of projects with August Fanon, two that I is in my holy grails, but they're a little expensive. So I'm just trying to get, find the right time to buy them. But N-Platonic right. N, N, N Energia. Don't, don't ask me to explain what the fuck that means, but it is available for purchase for not at an extreme amount of money. And it is phenomenal, all produced by August Fanon. It's incredibly grimy, incredibly gritty. And this guy has like an abstract hip hop kind of vibe to his lyrics, but it is so gritty. It's so raw. This guy is one of the most talented artists I've, I've heard in a long time. And he'll be joining the show too, start of May. So I am super floored and check that fucking album out. That's awesome. Uh, I've got I've got a poll running on my Twitter. Which album would you most like to hear? And one of the options the options are Be Real and Nicholas Craven, Danny Brown and August Fanon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I fuck with that. No, Danny Brown, August. Oh, you're not done. No, go. I'm not done. Mark Specht and Primo, uh, and Ghostface Killer and Navy Blue. Mm. Ooh, those okay so my finalists are definitely danny brown and fanon but ghostface and navy blue okay i say ghostface and navy blue would make the best album in my opinion i think okay. ghostface has shown already like i know danny brown and fanon they're too good they'd make a great album but oh, yeah. we have proof that ghostface can rap over some minimalist like samples just the vocal like looping he's done yeah. that shit already and I think that would be a beautiful combination. I hear you. No, it, it's in the lead. The Ghostface and Navy Blue is in the lead. Yep. Uh, I, the chance to hear Ghostface get his stride again is just too much for a lot of people. They're like, let's go. Because uh, Ghostface, when he's plugged in, it's different. It's different. It's one of the best. So, yep, good stuff. Any recommendations, K Diggy? Uh, no, man. <laughs> How about Taylor Swift's uh, Fearless, Taylor's version? I'm okay, is, that a, is that a new album? I'm not going to listen to it, but curious. Why is it Taylor's um, version? Is that like a deluxe? Uh, no, it, what happened is, so like her first, she didn't own the, the masters to her first six albums. Oh. And so her... Her enemy bought her first six albums, uh, the master to her first six albums. So she just decided, you know what? I'll re-record each album note for note uh, and then re-release them where I own the master. So I, I'll only I'll be able to make the money. Um, so uh, I, I said that in jest. I mean, it's an interesting concepts. Uh, re-recording old material. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's... No, it, it's, you know, his <laughs> recommendation is what he, what he told me when we first met, which is, 
don't kiss people when they're sneezing. And I, I've always <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Um, so appreciate everybody. Shout out to Taylor Swift. Uh, K Diggy still loves you out there. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends about us and stuff. Whatever. So this concludes today's episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some fresh new perspectives on the latest rap releases, as well as a recommendation for the next great rap record to add to your collection. If you're an artist looking to level up your career, getting more gigs, album sales, merch sales, whatever it may be, I would love to help you with that by providing you artist development and writing services. So if you're interested, contact me via email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com or hit me up via Twitter or Instagram at Rovview, R-O-H-V-I-E-W. I would be honored to lend my expertise and help you grow your career as an artist. And also for regular rap fans that just want to hear more quality commentary on the genre, follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. For exclusive content and updates related to the show, follow the Rap Music Plug podcast on Facebook to help the show grow and ensure that everyone's listening to the best rap music at all times. Follow the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Make sure you leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts so that the show can be spotlighted by that wonderful algorithm and be exposed to more people. You can find all of this information along with exclusive playlists created by myself by clicking the link that's in the episode's notes. So that's all for today. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.